I'm Max. I'm Nick. And I'm Jim. And this is Topic Lore. It's the only place on the internet you can hear topics discuss. Max, would you like to introduce yourself or do you have anything to plug? Uh, I'm Max. And I would like to plug making a stamp instead of business cards with your info on it. And then when people ask for your info, you can just stamp them or a nearby object uh, or whatever. Their coffee cup doesn't matter. That's very ephemeral. Like when you have a business card, you can just be like, I'll put this in a drawer and think about it later. But if it's like on your body, you need to call this person. I need to call you before I take a shower. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. I like that. Stamps are making me think of, or did you ever know about wheresgeorge.com? Are you both from Canada actually? No, I am not from Canada. I am from Canada, and I do not know about whereisgeorge.com. Okay. I do know about whereisgeorge.com. It was a website where you could you could write the URL on a dollar bill. You could enter the serial number of the dollar bill into the website and a little description of how, how you got the bill and how you spent it. And uh, you could see uh, er- like earlier uh, entries into the database for that same serial number. And... S- I got for for like a year. I got I bought a, a stamp of Where's George dot com, which is by the way, this is totally against U.S. law. I think it's technically treason right. to deface <laughs> currency. But I I stamped every dollar, like every bill that I that came through that that came through my possession, and I got Your like two, little hands. two yep. future hits for like people. Wow. <laughs> I've always wondered who does it because uh, working retail, I would run into them fairly often. Mm. Oh, yeah. Uh, And overall, I found it to be a fun idea. But then I had um, a moment of like anger when I got a $2 (laughs) bill and someone had stamped a Where's George on it. And it's not George Washington on the $2 bill. Right. Oh, I mean, you you can do it for any denomination. But it bugs me because it's called Where's George? And I'm like, yeah, George isn't here. It's not. George was never here. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Who's on the two? Isn't it Jefferson? I, I don't know. I think so. I know we had a two in Canada for a while, but uh, that's gone and it was almost certainly the queen. Yeah, I have a, a $2 Canadian bill. Yeah, you guys need to go independent. <laughs> oh, uh, no, the Royal Canadian Mint just printed their first coins with uh, uh, King Charles on it. <laughs> ah. So that's... Uh, that's a new and exciting development up here. That's that is exciting. That's who wouldn't want to be walk around with King Charles in their pocket. Give me uh give me a couple of chucks for a cup of coffee. <laughs> couple of chucks. That's great. Oh no. <laughs> Does it still have the Canada arm on the five? Uh oof, shoot. Uh there are a number of uh space related uh or CSA, the Canadian Space Agency related uh objects on various denominations i know i or i believe uh, on the 100 there was uh prime minister robert borden and uh radar sat uh one of our more successful satellites so you know yeah uh, i really enjoy the the space inclusion on canadian currency i do yeah. wish it was more uh i want i wanted them to mix the portraits with the space things so it was like the queen riding the canada oh yeah 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 for sure <laughs> i mean you know we'll have to send that up to uh to Justin. King Charles being ejected into the sun. <laughs> uh, and Nick, would you like to introduce yourself or do you have anything to plug? Uh, sure. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm Nick. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a guy on the internet uh, that knows Jim and I wanted to plug uh, inaturalist.org. <gasps> yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I've just been using it a bunch. Um, I sort of adopted a street corner garden in the borough of Montreal where I live and there's been a lot of wildflowers that just sort of crop up in it. Wildflowers and weeds, mostly weeds. And this is one of the, I want to say, less egregiously unethical uses of crowdsourcing that I know of <laughs> in, in, uh, in, in the current era where, like, I will just take a picture of a weird looking plant with a weird looking uh, seed pod on it and post it to inaturalist.org and within 20 minutes someone will just say like oh yeah of course that's uh xyz i i can't think of it oh very cool i can't can't think of any plants that's fair enough name a plant you know come on i additionally want to add on the recommendation for inaturalists uh like branch off app called seek it's great because there's a bunch of apps that claim to do this uh but what it does is it's an instant identification based on inaturalist databases and the thing that's especially nice about iNaturalist is that uh, it's all public data that can be used by various people in like ecology and biology and scientific communities. But Seek is instant identification 
based on those databases. Uh, and so it functions like a real life Pokedex. Uh, and I find it deeply satisfying because it does the thing of uh, once you've identified a thing, then it, it like puts your picture up plus like an example picture. And then you can see where it grows and like where other people have found it. Uh, and then you have your like, there's achievements and things. Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. But as you said, it's like slightly maybe more ethical uh, yeah. than some of those yeah. things. Uh, and there's a bunch of apps that claim to like identify those things and are varyingly sketchy on where they get their data. Yeah, but this exactly. one's, it's, it's public and pretty transparent and seems pretty good. Uh, but Seek is, Seek is great if you like the curiosity, but also you need instant gratification and the <laughs> fantasy of collecting information. <laughs> I do like that. I'll have to check that out. Yeah, that's neat. Oh, I, I just set it as like the camera shortcut on my phone. Um, oh, yeah. So instead of like, I'm like, oh, yeah, I just got to pull out my phone and identify mm-hmm. everything. It's a iNaturalist Go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That reminds me of a thing that is much more like don't leave the house indoors. Uh, but um, I don't know what you'd even call this. It's a page on GitHub <laughs> called SF Street Names. Uh, where it's, I guess it's a game where you are, your goal is to name every street in San Francisco. Mm. So you type the name in and it highlights it on the map. If you, uh, it's in San Francisco that you haven't named yet. And it scores you by not the number, not the percentage of streets found, but the mileage. Oh. So like if you find an especially long street, it counts for a lot. Okay. Mm. What is the longest street in San Francisco? Do you know offhand? I don't, but I just went there and to test it, I put in market street. And according to this, it's 2.26% of the miles of street in San Francisco, which seems Dang. high. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, anything over 1% feels like you've hit the hit pay dirt, right? Because I feel yeah. like there's got to be at least dozens of streets in San Francisco. Right, yeah. right. Yes, <laughs> there are several. A, there's a lot. Uh, when I When I first discovered this, I spent like 20 minutes just... Entering like First Street, Second Street, yeah. Third Street, Fourth Street, and then all the letters of the letters of the alphabet, and then like I started like entering president names and bird names. That's good. And I got to like twenty five percent, I think, just doing that. Did you try tree names? I did, but I don't. I don't actually know that many tree names, <laughs> or, or they didn't come to mind anyway. But uh, these are successful strategies. I just entered my first one, and it was Maine. Uh, and uh-huh. it gave me both Main Street and Main Drive, uh, putting me up to one uh, percent. Yeah, nice. good stuff. I know all the ones that lead from the Indy Hostel to the Moscone Center uh, right. for GDC, and that's <laughs> yes. just about it. Yeah, well, that's that's actually more than I know because I don't navigate by street names uh, when I'm walking, at least. But uh, when I was, I think this is what made me think of it when you were talking about going around like taking photographs of plants was that I wanted this in my town uh, because I like I, I just thought it would be fun to like just go wandering and like enter in the street names that I see, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's it's not just like the names you can think of, but it's the names you, the streets you've been on. Um, mm, yeah. You're like, you're collecting them. Um, there's that guy on YouTube who's, uh, I believe he's a mathematician. His, his name on YouTube is Sucker Pinch. Yeah, I've seen that. And he had a video that was like, he, he he has the hobby of running. And so he wanted to run all of the streets in his city and did this over the course of like a decade. Okay. So not in one go. No. Uh, but he complicated it for himself where like, I, he had a bunch of elaborating rules that were like not using, like not going over things more than once or something. That doesn't seem possible, but there's some level of like, complication to this that was interesting oh this yeah this guy's great like he posts like a video a year but it's always really good yeah and a lot of his videos are accompanied by like like an academic paper right yeah that's probably why it takes a year uh related to the 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 circuit or just like here's my paper on subatomic particles and here are 50 streets that i ran through (laughs) related to like how he calculated which streets and like optimized his routes okay so it's like yeah legit like topology planning or something Yeah. yeah and then he he had a paper that was like like he did a project that was reverse emulation uh where he was trying to 
he was trying to run Super Nintendo games on an NES, and he did that by having a Super <laughs> Nintendo running on like a Raspberry Pi in the mm-hmm. cartridge. There were several game genies, and and like I think what it did was it there was like significant technical issues making this happen, which the video goes into in detail. But mm. I think it ended up um, automatically updating like the tile map of the of the graphics ROM or something like that. Mm. But the first video that I saw, which I think is yeah, his most famous. So, like, if you've seen this, you might understand this guy's oeuvre was a computer program that learns to play classic NES games. And it does this. Um, oh, gosh. Actually, I, I don't know if I can explain how it does it, but it's mm-hmm. it's very, uh, very interesting. Yeah, I recommend his videos. They uh, just insert the whole audio of of that video here. <laughs> <laughs> right. The quote is the first level of Super Mario Brothers is easy with lexicographic ordering and time travel. Well, oh, now you tell me. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just like caught on like what is the pluralization of game genie, games genie, game. Oh, genies? definitely games, ge- games genie. Yeah, and what is like a multitude of them? Right. Actually, like, no, a, I can't. A pot I can't, of dolphins. I can't countenance this. Yeah. Genie is the kind of game is the kind of genie it is. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> Sorry. Bit of, yeah. This, this is really stuck in my craw. I think for uh, multi word nouns, we should pre append the plural S. So it's schemes genie. Right. Mm. Yeah. It's right there. It's like how Pearl fixed basic by putting the dollar sign at the beginning of the variable name instead of at the end. <laughs> Nailed it. Uh, we still haven't started any topics, but <laughs> maybe we should do that. In a way, in a way. I'm at uh, 2.24% on uh, oh, very good. street names. And, and Theory is uh, one of your streets, right? I've just discovered that there's alphabet streets, so oh, it's really snaps. shaking things up. Yeah, yeah. And and Nick, how's your Sudoku game going? <laughs> oh, it's done. Uh, it's it's done. It's out of the way. Uh, okay, I've, good, I've good. met my uh, quota for the day, and my 130-day streak has not been broken. There's an achievement for Ooh. hitting uh, 356 days, like a full year, or 365. Cosmo has been around for 130 days. Uh, well, sorry. Yeah. So the Sudoku is a separate thing from Zach Gage. Okay. It's a different thing. But then that leads in perfect segue. Look at the podcast. Right. Host. Right. To this new topic. Yeah. Puzmo. Puzmo. This is actually a sanctioned topic. It's on the list. Yeah. So, dear listener, I got in the mail a thing that said, This is your Puzmo key. It had two drawings that were nearly identical by Pendleton Ward, the creator of Adventure Time. And you had to scratch off uh, the spot, the differences between the drawings. And then that gave me a key to unlock a site uh, created by Zach Gage, which is a set of daily puzzles in the style of the crossword or wordle or things like that. Does someone else want to take over explaining what this is? <laughs> uh, I mean, it's I, a I mini really... game collection, right? It's like WarioWare. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I want WarioWare to just unexpectedly have a full crossword in there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> WarioWare, yeah. But you still only have like six seconds to do it. <laughs> yeah, WarioWare for the uh, New York Times crowd. Yeah, the, the, New, the, the New York Times mini crossword is, I mean, six seconds is low. That would be a good time. But I bet, I bet someone's done it in six seconds. Whenever I get sub 45 on the minis, I send it to my sister and then she's gotten like sub uh, 30 seconds or whatever. Yeah. Are you like uh, a a uh, regular New York Times mini crossword puzzler? What about you, Jim? Are you- uh, yeah. Well, n- the mini I do occasionally, but I do the, the, big, the big one every day. I don't do the mini or I do, don't do the full one, but I off and on have streaks of doing the mini every day. Is there, are they still like paid? Are they subscription based? No, you can do the daily ones. Okay. Uh, you okay. just you have to pay to access the archive, similar to Puzmo. Right. Sure. If you want to continue with Puzmo, go ahead. <laughs> yes. I mean, <laughs> obviously, yeah. Uh, Puzmo, I guess, just to to finish that off, is just a collection of yeah. Well, I mean, like you said, right? Crossword esque puzzles. A lot of word puzzles and then a really bad chess clone, literally called Really Bad Chess, which is a port of a prior Zach Gage game. And I think for now it's just six puzzles, but I was literally listening to a podcast about this yesterday uh, with with Zach and and co. Yeah, I think they're they're gonna be adding more puzzles to it. But um yeah, it's sort of a daily collection of uh six uh, for now uh word based puzzles. Oh, there's also um I think it's part of the main collection now is uh flip art. Flip art, yes. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Not words at all. 
Yeah, it's like um, it's a sort of spatial figuring out puzzle where it's like uh, you have different Tetris pieces or other numbers of squares and you're like rotating them all to fit within a grid. Yeah. And you're trying to either go for time or you can kind of golf it and go for less rotations. And I think that's what was exciting to me about having all these games is not only having a bunch of daily games, but uh, you get a fun little histogram of different optimizings in terms of like how quickly different people did them, but also like how few words or how many words people used uh, to solve the various games and things. And uh, that's what I find so far. I've only been doing it for a couple of days, but I I like the histograms. I love... Who doesn't love a good graph, right? Yeah. <laughs> There's, I think, I mean, I know like they, um, uh, they put in an effort again, apparently according to this, uh, interview I was listening to, but like they, they did put an effort to collect a lot of stats for a lot of folks who are really into that sort of thing. Um, who love to see the, you know, which percentile am I in, who solved it the fastest or with least amount of moves or something, but then you can also just sort of switch it off if that's really not your style, which is, uh, very generous, I find. Yeah. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I like the, the the prospect of high quality stats because the New York Times crossword app is not. I would say it's not well made. Mm-hmm. Maybe it is on iPhone. I hear they, they I hear I hear that version is better, but like the the one on Android is often pretty buggy. Like they will patch it and it's just like okay now. Like for the last bug that they they actually fixed this one finally, but there was a bug where the, the clues get scaled down to fit in the space allotted for clues. So like a longer clue, like a paragraph long clue would be printed in tiny text. And then, mm. but, but then like the bug was that when you went to the next clue, which was a, a like a two word clue, it, it would retain the tiny text. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so like you had to back out of the puzzle and go back in in order mm-hmm. to see the clue at normal size. Yeah. As a programmer, I know exactly what the problem is, but God, it's aggravating to see it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Great. They finally implemented the letter T. <laughs> Love those patch notes. Um, do they just have like a captive market, I guess, for, for the crossword? Like how, how many other crossword things are out there that have like the reach and the history of, of that one, right? Like, yeah. Like New York Times is far and away the most yeah. popular and most famous crossword. And there's, there's, there's competitors out there and I bet they're pretty good. Mm-hmm. I bet. I've never tried them, but like they really do have a, um, I think a stranglehold on the, the crossword. Yeah. Like I think the people who like subscribe to the, uh, I can't even name one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> one of the competitors were like doing that in addition to the New York Times crossword. Yeah. Yeah. I have a friend who, um, her mother doesn't like the app, but will do it on paper and then have her daughter enter it all. She wants the score still. And like to prove that she's done it, but she will just like, she will take a screenshot and print out from the app. Yeah. I feel like that's, this is like the main advantage of doing it on paper is that you don't have the app telling you, you got it wrong. Yeah. 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 Like, so I I feel like you're kind of missing the point. (laughs) Oh, do either of you play uh, the connections puzzles? I think it's. Oh, is that like yeah. the new? I don't want. I don't want to say the new hotness, but is that is that the new super popular one that's coming out? Right, like there's. Yeah, what is I it don't like? know how popular it is, but it is the new New York Times thing. <laughs> right, I believe similarly to Wordle, it was like purchased as a mm-hmm. like someone was hosting. I think it's still up. Like there's just a right. GitHub you can go to to get the same ones as well. Yeah, which is which is weird that they decided to buy that because there's a. I mean, I, obviously they're buying the brand, but. There, I, I remember playing a puzzle game called Red Herring, which was this exact same idea mm-hmm. like eight yeah. years ago, something, at least, something like that. Red Herring just stopped being on the Android store, and it's a big bummer to me. Oh, maybe they put out a hit. Yeah. <laughs> Will Schwartz came out of his uh, New York Times you know, crossword writing fugue and just like, yeah. Oh, I thought you were going to posit that he like lives in an orb. I mean, <laughs> both, both can be true, right? Yeah, that's true. Um, Fugorb. <laughs> For those who haven't played it, it's like you're given a four by four grid of just like words or phrases, and then you have to organize them into four categories and you submit them one at a time. And there, it's very, very similar to a British TV show called uh, Only Connect. It's all about figuring out like the commonality and connecting categories. And then the final round of the show or second to final round of the show is like that always. And it's called The Wall. And it was wild to me that they could just like buy this person's kind of clone of this British show. But um, 
what's great about the like GitHub page for it is like there's an easy way of making linkable like your own versions of these puzzles. And it's a pretty satisfying puzzle to make. And so I've been going back and forth with my partner and like making these connections puzzles. Oh, that's fun. I recommend uh, trying it out and playing it, but also uh, I guess link in the show notes for this. Like, yeah. Have we talked about what this puzzle is yet? I don't think we have. Sort of. Did you? You did. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Good, Mm -hmm. good, good. Yeah. So the way connections works is that they're the, the, the 16 items are laid out in a grid and you pick four of them and you hit accept or whatever the button is called. And it tells you either like it accepts that this is these four go together or it tells, says you're wrong and you lose a hit point. And you're trying to get, you're trying to match all four categories. There's, there's four uh, categories with four items each in it and you're trying to sort them. Uh, red herring was set up such that, um, you were trying to arrange them into columns and you, you couldn't lose. You couldn't like run out of hit points, but you would, you would only win after you sorted them all, all at the same time. And I kind of like that better because one of the things that I want to do with connections is like, I want to tr- say like, okay, what if these four to go, go together? What's left? Does it make sense? And there's no way to do that. Like you can't like move the, 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 the clues around to organize them visually. And my problem with red herring was that the puzzles were just way too hard. <laughs> I think the one connections puzzle I did, uh, I gave up and it turns out that one of the categories was just like things relating to Wonder Woman, of which I have no frame of reference. Yeah, I I mean, that's fine. A lot of the time that's the case, but then they usually don't have two things like that. So it can just be the freebie you get at the end. (laughs) Right, sure. Yeah, Yeah, it's that crossword thing of like, hopefully the intersecting things are like the what's left, then you can figure out. Oh yeah, no, I'm on the, the... the crossword subreddit and uh there is uh endless complaining whenever there's mm-hmm. a, two like proper nouns crossing oh each other <laughs> i'm sure there's a whole whole etiquette uh that one must follow yeah they have names for it and you can't google mm-hmm. them because if you have if you google like so that, that's called that's called a natic n-a-t-i-c-k i forget why i think mm-hmm. the uh the trope namer was the word natic crossing something mm-hmm. but if you don't know what a natic is and you see this in the subreddit and you Google crossword Natic, you're going to get like 200 pages of like, mm-hmm. here are answers to the clue Natic in, uh, <laughs> <laughs> because like the, these are extremely well SEO'd yeah. uh, crossword answer databases. Yeah. This is a part of our human heritage at this point. That's right. <laughs> deeply, deeply important to us. Are we uh, ready for another topic? Sure. Yeah. Uh, Nick, your topic is I'm worried about my tableware rotation strategy. Yeah. So, um, again, this sort of just struck me um, in the moment that you asked me for topics. And I I looked around and realized that in the middle of doing dishes, I mean, you know, you have a stack of like plates, let's say, and, you know, you use them for, for eating and then you clean them and then you're putting the plates back. And I guess the easiest thing to do is to just put the plates back on top of the stack. Like literally it's a, you know, uh, at that point, well, it is a stack, like a computer science stack, you know, you just put things on the top. But, um, at some point in my life and I'm, I, I cannot pinpoint where, but I had this idea that like, I want all of my plates to get, to have the same amount of wear and tear, I suppose. So I'm like, you need a cue instead. Yeah, exactly. So I'm, I'm, I'm putting my, you know, my freshly dried plates, you know, at the bottom of, of this pile of, of plates. I'm going to avoid saying stack there because that is confusing the issue. Um, so put the plates at the bottom uh, of this pile of plates so that, you know, I always get a, a new one off the top. And roughly speaking, over time, uh, I guess the wear pattern on all of them should be roughly equivalent. And the same with like, if I'm taking glasses and I put a glass back in the cupboard, I will take a glass from the rear and move it to the front and put the the freshly dried one in the back. And this is getting obnoxiously complicated as a description. But so, yeah, I mean, my idea was that like, you know, just like uh, you rotate tires on a car to keep the wear patterns even. I thought, well, certainly I should just do this for for our, our table wear at home. But uh, very recently, it struck me that like, if I do this and they all wear at roughly the same rate, then likely they're all going to break down and like break at the same break at the same time and you'll just be entirely out of plates yeah like 
instead of, you know, if I use the one plate over and over and over again, and it, it breaks after 10,000 washes, then like, okay, I'm out one plate and I have 10,000 more washes with the next plate. Whereas now it's like, I use all of my plates 10,000 times and then it's, yeah, it's just like total chaos and I have no plates. And yeah, you want to rotate your plate breakage. It's yeah, no, exactly. You need to like, this is, this is where I'm at. Right. And like, you know, I, I feel like I'm in pure hobbit mode of like things in my life are generally okay enough where I can worry about this. Right. Um, (laughs) So like, that's, that's good, I guess. But also this is giving me like deep anxiety where I'm just thinking like, and another thing actually is that, you know, if I'm lifting this huge pile of plates to put the new plate underneath it, like that in itself incurs a certain amount of risk, right? Like yeah, I'm doing this with two hands and I've got a, a huge pile of plates in one hand. And like, there've been some tense moments, you know, a momentary lack of attention could send the whole thing falling over. Um, so um, yeah, this has just been a moment of my life where I'm like, well, reevaluating that. And whew, yeah. And yeah. uh, I, I remember a similar thing where, Someone, I forget where I read this, but someone was positing that the problem with having like, like, you know, in some public restrooms, you'll see like multiple sets of toilet paper. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And the problem with this is that people tend to take uh, toilet paper from the set, the the roll that has the most toilet paper instead of the one that Mm. has the least. Oh, right. Yeah. So boom, there you go. So they both, (laughs) they both run out at the same time. Yeah. And I don't know if this is like, I don't know if this person has data on this or just happened to (laughs) notice it. That'd be a good, good, good study to do. I want to read the white paper. Have either of you uh, worked in a restaurant or in like uh, food retail? Uh, I've never had that pleasure. Because uh, because you have to do this for like um, there's like rotating the stock for um, <clears throat> it's like a standard part of everywhere that has food that expires. And by stock, you mean like a water boiling with bones in it? <laughs> <laughs> that too. Uh, oh, but so just wait, like, wait, what do you mean then? <laughs> oh, like just the back stock, like all the, like everything stored at the restaurant. Oh, okay. Just everything. Yeah. All the, because the other word for that is just stirring. Yeah. <laughs> right. So I was, I was thinking this is just like how, and sorry for this tangent, but like, presumably it's like, uh, the, what's the, 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 what's the term for this? There's like infinite soup, a forever soup, where if you keep a oh, soup. Oh, sure. Bo- yeah. If yeah. you keep boiling the soup, then uh, it perpetual. stays perpetual, perpetual stew. stew. Right. Yeah. yeah. If yeah. you just have a, a, a pot of stock boiling forever and you ladle out some and then you add some water or you mm-hmm. add some bones, I, then it, it maybe it stays safe. But then you have to rotate, <laughs> rotate, rotate out the, the, the stock that's on the bottom of the pot mm-hmm. because that one's getting stagnant. <laughs> so, so you have to flip the pot over. <laughs> There's a whole sure. ecology here. Right. The real thing that makes, by the way, this is a, the answer to an unanswered question, unasked question on this right. tangent. But like the the thing that makes perpetual stews and things uh, safe is salt and heat uh, keeps it from getting basically like yeah that that keeps it from uh, likely ever getting yeah salt is a preservative and heat mm-hmm. kills the um, the bad yeah. thing the germs yeah and, and like the salt makes it so. Uh, nothing could really live in it, but it's, it, there's been trouble where people try and make like diet perpetual stews and things. Like, uh, low sodium perpetual stew. Yeah. Think, and so it's not safe. I think that's the episode name. <laughs> Again, that's just standing water. Right. <laughs> um, oh, but back to the uh, food service thing, mm, which is mm-hmm. when you have a restaurant or like even just like a grocery store, right? Like, you put it in reverse order because you want to use or have the customer take the thing that is going to expire soonest first. Sure. Right. Yeah. That's like a, one of the tasks that is often like just a default thing. If you're working in a restaurant, it's like, if you don't have anything else, just like verify that things are, are rotated incorrectly because it is a pain. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. But what sometimes happens is you have, so say you have two stacks of plates, uh, you take a plate, you wash it, and then you put it in a different stack, and then you fully use up the first one. And then you've, like, it's a zigzag where you're just, like, alternating the order of the plates used. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but I have talked with someone at multiple restaurants when I've been working, like, about this exact issue of, like, plateware and things. It's encouraging to know I'm not the only one, frankly. Yeah, yeah. And uh, 
I was asking like, well, I was making sure all the lettuce was like in the right order, whether I should do that with the plates. And he said the exact thing that you thought of, which is that, you know, we don't want to wear them out all at the same time mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, because we can, these are like default plates we can get from the big food service manufacturer. And so we can get more plates always. Uh, and it's better just to like wear some out and then move on to the next ones. But he said they didn't do that and they did rotate plates at a fancier restaurant where it was more unique plates uh, because they didn't want to risk any plates uh, looking more worn than any other plates if two people were given plates next to each other. And since they were less default plates, they were harder to get like individual plates uh, again. So they would assume that they were all going to wear out at the same time uh, once they were looking too worn uh, donate or sell them all and then just get like a fully fresh stock of plates. This is uh, super validating. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, I, again, like I, like I said, I thought I was just like going off the deep end and like hyper fixating on this one thing, but uh, it's oh, good to hear that. That's what show is all about though. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like, you know, like the, you know, airplane uh, boarding procedures, like there are algorithms out there and people are like vehement about random order versus rear to the front or whatever, vice versa. So yeah, it's yeah. interesting that it's occurring in the restauranting is- industry as well. I feel like a, a, a major question for which is best for you mm. is, are all your plates the same or? Uh, hmm. The ones we use on a regular basis, yes. Uh, it's all the same stack of plates and they are, I don't want to say irreplaceable, but they are, uh, it's uh, my partner who's had them for a long time and she got it from her parents, I think. So there's a certain amount of heirloomness to them. So in that case, maybe I should be rotating them so they wear I mean, those you sh- shouldn't be using at all. Well, yeah, I mean, they're they're not, you know, these these aren't the the Star Trek commemorative plates or anything. But, okay, uh, all right. <laughs> they're 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 made for using. But uh, yeah, no, this is uh, this is interesting. My opinion would be to use them like use the same ones repeatedly because yeah, then yeah. if one does break break or if the, some get worn out, then you still have like the nicest ones of them. Right, right. Or I can just buy like four cheap plates from the dollar store and uh, yeah. Call it at that. Do, do the dollar store? Does things co- still cost a dollar there in Canada? Dollar twenty five store. Yeah, they they cost uh, a whole Jefferson, I guess. Wow. Your Republic uh, dollars. Right. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know how much plates cost at the dollar store in Canada. I have not checked. You haven't been to the dollar store sheet. recently. I, it's been a while. Actually, no, I did go there for uh, actually, yeah, um, for uh, gardening gloves for the corner lot where I took pictures of plants. Uh, mm-hmm. So there's that. The gloves were about $5. Mm-hmm. Are, we, uh, are we ready for another topic? Sure, yeah. I'm, I'm just buzzing off of that. I'm, I'm super glad that this is a, a topic of <laughs> deep deep research and opinion <laughs> in the right quarters. Actually, I, actually, I do want to circle back around to, um, what was it, the idea that there are people working on algorithms for for uh, airplane boarding strategies. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and this this would entail like convincing everybody in the terminal to agree to your algorithm. Yeah. So are there strategies for that? Because those are the oh. strategies that I want to know. Mm. Oh yeah, this is like how people are. It's like in reality, hacking is mostly just like social engineering and convincing right. people. Right. To yeah. Be a scammer. But I wonder. I mean, like they could easily do like A/B testing effectively, right? Like only after they establish the protocol for convincing everybody in the terminal mm-hmm. to to agree to your strategy. Right. But I mean, like you know, they could print anything on my my boarding pass, right? And I, I just see oh, that I I'm see. in zone five, and I I like they call zone five at a certain point, and like ten people stand up and go onto the plane. Uh, I have no idea if these other nine people in zone five are, you know, they're all in the rear with me or if they're randomly scattered around the plane, I don't check on that. So I feel like I did not think of this. That's interesting. Oh, that's a good strat. Yeah. They could send me on the wrong plane. I wouldn't know. People need to line up though. Like even Mm. when there's like, I don't understand really, but people will line up even before it's like their section. And if it's not a crowded plane, they'll still Mm. just like stand there using up their legs yeah, well, I need I need to use up some legs today. Yeah, 
Got to get my steps, but not steps. Got to get my stands. I mean, that that really might be like they've been sitting for a while. They're going to be yeah. sitting for a while. Let's stand yeah. for a while instead. But I, I don't actually doubt that they think it through that much. I think it's just that they want to, you know, they want to get as close as possible to the plane. Yeah, I think. Well, so for a long time, that would. Um, I would sort of try to let that ride and just be like, well, you know, whatever, I have my ticket uh, anyway, like I'll get on the plane, no problem. It's not, that's not an issue. But then I realized that um, the folks who do get on first do get dibs on the overhead compartment, which, you know, is a contested space. Yep, that's true. So I get that. My strat is to, um, I have a big backpack Mm. and I subdivide it into smaller bags. So if there's not big, enough room for my singular big backpack, I can take out smaller bags and Dang. just like parasitically like shove them between everyone's bags. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, like lane splitting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Now, now are we ready for another topic? Sure. Let's do it. All right. Uh, my topic is Enigaldi Nana's Museum. Uh, I'm just going to load up the Wikipedia page here. This is the earliest known public museum. I have no idea if I pronounced that correctly. And it dates to 530 BCE. Archaeologists dug up this archaeological site that was full of artifacts that were all from different eras of history, all like laid out in in rows. And the I just find this like this is like a microcosm of like history is a lot older than we think. You know, like this is really I don't know I don't know where to go with this. I'm just kind of like <laughs> I'm non I'm I'm like speechless by this idea. Right. Well, so it says here, right, this, uh, it dates to 530 BCE. So, uh, I guess early antiquity, like very early Greek era or before, before the, you know, the, the classical era of Greece, I guess, but like still within that time frame. Yeah. But it, I mean, it's, it's in, uh, it's in, uh, Iraq, right? It's in like the cradle of civilization. Yeah. 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 The, mm-hmm. the Tigris and Euphrates area. Yeah. Cause I mean, yeah, even, even then, like, you know, the pyramids were still thousands of years old at that point. Right. Yeah, that's true. Kind of buck wild. Um, yeah. Do, do we have some sense of like, do we know if this was a, a public space or a private residence? Was this just like someone's fancy collection? It says it's the earliest known public museum. I don't know oh, yeah, how okay, they right. know. I don't know how they know public. Yeah. Well, there's a, there's yeah. a, a map, you know, a little coloring book for kids. No, um, <laughs> there's an optional donation. There's like a gift thing. shop. Yeah. 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 They, they found, they found a ancient cash register. <laughs> this is great. Yeah. I mean, uh, you got yourself a cylinder with a lot of cuneiform on it, which is, you know, I mean, good museum fodder in any, any millennium. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was going to ask what if they were new, but I was like, even then, I guess that would be a great, like you got your new museum. How did you discover this, Jim? Oh gosh. I don't remember. We were in the Fugorb. This isn't even, yeah, that's right. I was in, I was in Will Schwartz's Fugorb. He invited me in. <laughs> I, I don't even have the excuse of like, I put this in the bucket months ago because I think I put it in there last week and I still don't remember where I found it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, the bucket is your museum, right? Like it's a collection of, of. That's right. And the bucket is. And curiosities. The bucket is, 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 uh, op- is public editable, mm-hmm. which is a mistake, but that's how I just like. <laughs> You know, when when I when I have new guests on, new lords, I send them a link to the bucket and they can all still edit it, which is why like so so this is not just a museum, this is like a an artifact in itself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because there there's things like someone went in there and started like organizing the topic trove tab, like they added a new <laughs> a new column and separated the <laughs> right. and I, I I don't know who this was. I have a guess. Mm. But it's it's just like this is what you get when you have a like I, I think I think there have been over like 150 guests on the show now so lots of people have the link really I've been looking I've been trying to scour and find where artifacts from this museum are located I'm so curious right what if there's artifacts from an older museum that were housed at this museum yeah yeah and then like how many museums <laughs> deep are we mm-hmm. Like, was the first uh, single-celled life, like, did they have a little museum of, like, this is when we were just uh, <laughs> cell walls with nothing else. Yeah, you'll never believe this cool rock I saw, I swam by. Yeah, yeah. that's very good. I do like also, so the, the museum, I noticed, uh, they have the curator listed. That was Princess Enigaldi. Uh, I guess that's the name. Um, and she, uh, her page... She served as the "quote unquote" human wife of the moon god Sin. And I, <laughs> I just love the the 
just having a wiki page that says she served as the quote unquote human wife. It's yeah. like, did A Ferengi write this? Yeah. Uh, I love the word human used when people are overthinking that. <laughs> well, you, you would expect a god to marry another god. Mm, no, that's, yeah. I, I, that is fair. That is fair. That is you know, totally. I guess. <laughs> but like there's a, a lawyer uh, who has ads around Seattle that it says uh, efficient successful human mm. <laughs> and i'm like i that. didn't question whether you human until you brought it up friends yeah, we, i breathe air <laughs> yeah that's exactly what a robot would say this is really interesting i think i'm just like busy staring at this no for sure i mean like i i love a good museum and uh this seems to be i mean one of the prototypes right does anyone have okay yeah like this is something that i've I've also and again tangent i apologize but like i've been trying to like get a number of top five lists of my life going because on a case you know on on social media people will be like hey quickly name your top five uh herbs and spices and i, I want to be ready um and i was thinking like i have a couple of museums on mine but i don't i don't think i have five yet What's your top five herbs and spices? Uh, there as well. I don't have uh, a full five, but I have three: uh, cumin, rosemary, and mint. I think those are like S tier. Um, I think I have a very sort of like uh, Mediterranean inspired um, palette, I guess. So probably like I mean, lemon and garlic would be on there as well. But those, I mean, lemon's not really a herb or a spice, but um, it's delicious. Is pepper a spice? Yeah, well, for sure, for sure. I mean, it came on the spice trail, so. By definition. Oh, yeah. Is it only a spice once it's dried? Is dried lemon a spice? Oh, you know what? Um, that is a thing. I mean, it's an aromatic, right? You, it's a thing you add to give flavor. So, you know, I'm not I'm not super... Because, like, garlic whole is maybe less of a spice to me than, like, mm-hmm. garlic powder. Right. How small does it have to be to become a spice? Yeah. I don't have the answer. Science... Science will never have the answer. This is this is for the uh, social sciences. This is for the philosophers. How many spices can dance on the head of a pin? Mm. <laughs> so yeah, this museum rocks. What are what are the museums that are already on your list? Oh right, uh, gosh, I think even there I'm like, how many? Yeah, I literally just have the National Archaeological Museum in Athens. That one was cool. There's a really because uh, there, there. I mean, this is why like when I saw 530 BCE for the. Uh, uh, or was it Anigaldi uh, Nana's museum? Um, I remember like that era was roughly when um, early Greece was sort of coming into its own. Let's say um, I think it goes back to like 700 BC, possibly like the earliest uh, hints at a communal um, uh, Aegean-wide civilization. Anyway, in this yeah National Archaeological Museum in Athens, um, they just have like a beautiful progression of like the different art styles as. Um, as Greece evolved and came into its classical, you know, golden age. And you just follow along these, you know, sort of very rough human shapes. And then, you know, at a certain point you turn a corner and there's this 12 foot tall bronze statue of, I think they said it's like either Zeus or Poseidon, you know, mid throwing, you know, either uh, a trident or a lightning bolt or something. And it's just like incredibly dynamic, incredibly lifelike. And it's, it's sort of, you know, bowled me over when I saw it. Um, And so like, I was like, you know what? This museum, top five with a bullet. <laughs> um, others, I don't know, but I'd love, yeah, I mean, I'd love to visit this one if uh, if it's still open to the public. Mm. I like that. So, in the Wikipedia page, it says that um, she used the museum pieces to explain the history of the area and to uh, interpret material aspects of her dynasty's heritage. And it's it's really interesting to think about like the long term thing of that of like museums as a way of like shaping the narrative and like telling a story of like, that's why we're in power. <laughs> We've always been here. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, yeah. There, there is a myth and nationhood making in that. Yeah, you know, for sure. I really like, um, there's a really great museum in Kobe in Japan. That's, uh, the traditional Japanese carpentry museum. And it is a really, really good museum regardless of like anything. It's, very well funded and it is very well designed and it um, goes over the evolution of traditional carpentry in in, in Japan. And then uh, like it takes you from uh, stone tools to metal tools and also just like what that did to how carpentry worked and how people made things. Uh, and it physically like you get to feel examples of wood cut with a stone tool versus a metal mm. tool. Oh, neat. And you get like... wow these physical puzzles where you get to like put together mm-hmm. the like 
uh, nailless Japanese joinery, uh, where it's like a wood puzzle, basically. And you're just like shoving the different pieces together. And then it's uh, very like hands-on and neat and gives you like a really good physical sense of like what goes into carpentry. Uh, and then there's like the finest carpentry planes made by like the master uh, forge like people. And like y- they put like under a microscope, you can just move this microscope around to look at the different uh, blades. And you can just like, they're like, here is just like a regular sharp blade. And then there's just like all the little features of the edge of the blade. And then you move it over to the master one that's like, this is just like perfectly precision handcrafted and there is no variation. It's just like a smooth, (laughs) straight line. And you're like, enhance the microscope more and more. And it's just a straight line. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds incredible. It also was the first place I ever went where it was an entirely automated bathroom. And so like, you know how there's like motion detecting soap or like faucet. And I had always kept that in mind. And it was always disappointing because some places would have like the soap and the faucet would be motion detecting, but then it wouldn't be a motion detecting toilet. And I was always on the lookout for ones that had all like, you know, you get the the true set. Well, the uh, the this, real the real challenge is like also cleaning the bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man, I guess it didn't have that because there is some places where it just like floods the bathroom and rinses it out. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah. But this one, the door automatically opened Mm. and then I stepped in and the stall door opened and then the toilet lifted on its own and it said, welcome. Uh, (laughs) Cool, cool bathroom ghost. Did the toilet flap to to match the... the (laughs) Yes. Hello. (laughs) Well, that has disturbing implications, but anyway. Did it comment <laughs> on your performance? Uh, you could put in your choice of different uh, white noise, where it was like, do you want mm, waterfall yeah. noise? Right, right, right. Yeah. Do you remember what you chose? Was it like a uh, noise of a cafe or something? Oh, I would have chosen, I would have chosen like bookstore shuffling. Mm, mm-hmm. uh, I think that would work for me. Okay. Um, I don't think I opted for white noise because right. I think I was alone in the bathroom. <laughs> but yeah, that's a good museum. You learn so much at a museum. That's true. <laughs> Are we ready for another topic? Yeah. Uh, an update for where I'm at with um, the San Francisco street names. Oh, yeah, yeah. Is uh, I use the word clay from uh, our last topic and I got uh, clay street uh, sure. with okay. a surprising 0.5%. Wow. Okay. Yeah. It's a big, long street. This is still the uh, San Francisco version, right? Yeah, or maybe yeah. it's the only one. But uh, how do they define like the edges of the city? I mean, I'm, I'm I'm assuming they just like call it at a certain point. That's a good question. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I feel like it's 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 pulling out of a a, a street ma- street map database somewhere, and this I bet the database has mm-hmm. city boundaries. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah, open street map, which just makes me like wonder, like, okay, what if you can do one? If you do San Francisco like this, how much harder would it be to do this for every city? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh man, it's a very different proposition to try and do it for like the nation. You're like, how many main streets are there? Oh yeah, you put in main street, you get like you you would get. I bet you would get a similar percentage of like you you put in you spend Mm. 10 minutes entering first street street through 100th street (laughs) and you'd get probably the same percentage as you would just putting it in for san francisco Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's like fractally uh you know the recursively like the streets have the same total length over the network at every level that you examine it yeah oh yeah i wonder how how much the highways would be worth Mm. yeah yeah yeah, the mother road route 66 or something like i'm not even sure that's that like that can't even be like the longest interstate right i don't know are we ready for another topic did i already ask that you may have but yeah you know, and then i, I, I asked about yeah. this <laughs> <laughs> well i mean important update right like yeah you know, I, I wanted to know yeah it's like uh robert stack with his uh, unsolved mystery updates that was the best part of the show oh yeah so it's solved mystery yeah 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 <laughs> Sorry, I, that was another interruption. Are we ready for another topic? Sorry, I, I'm, I'm chomping on your your style here. No, no you, it's, it's, it's good, you, man. This is this is the this is the content. This is the content okay. people crave. Mm-hmm. Uh, for this topic, we're going to be doing a poem. Uh, it was a coffin that sang by Olena Davis. Since you're the one who knows how to pronounce Hungarian, 
<laughs> oh, the one word, sure. Yeah, I'll give it a shot. Do you want me to read? The, okay, so the, the, the full... Yeah, the, I think the full thing. Uh, so this is, it was a coffin that sang. My mother danced the chardash all night. She held up the edges of her long red skirt, a poppy in her teeth, its seeds freckling her white, white face. And what a gypsy God was, stamping his boots and tying his scarves across one eye like a lunatic crazed by what he had set going, each wild drunk dancer, the heel to toe of each reckless life. All night, death was just a dance she could rise to. It was a coffin that sang, a rough Russian melody. The world will end, and the world will end, and the world will end on some bright morning. I suffered a terrible hangover of faith, and now I'm tired, and my mother is stiff with the idea of bending, but she makes one last extravagant gesture, a throwing up of the arms. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what I was saying before the show, which is what they call burning cast in the business. Mm. <laughs> uh, but I'll try to replicate the try to replicate the experience uh, mm. here live on the air. Mm-hmm. Uh, was that this poem is a real fucking downer, but <laughs> but it also uh, gives you the tools to deal with this problem, this this issue of like the the end of a yourself and b humanity, which you've probably already thought of if you're more than three years old. And the tools are. A, you know, you appreciate the beauty of the life that you have and you just get out there and dance. You know, it is, it is beautiful that we once existed, which is, a, which is the phrase that came to mind because it was a show title. <laughs> is this a British game show where you had to categorize words? No. Yeah, no, it's, <laughs> I just, I said the secret word. <laughs> yeah. I like this poem. And I think even more than just like enjoying life while it lasts, I, I, I don't know. I read in like a, kind of like enjoying the emotion of of being sad. Like I think in my personal philosophy of things, I try and have like a good sadness when something is just like a raw, I feel like a lot of life is very like kind of kind of mild, kind of complicated emotions. And so when something big sad happens, it's like it sucks. And also you just like take a moment to just like enjoyment is not quite the right word, but just like just let your body feel like a full hundred percent emotion for that and it's just the the like hangover is very like you're just kind of drunk on sadness and then like i don't know what i've found like after grief or like during moments of grief i'll have just like a big swing of being like real uh kind of like euphoric after a little while well yeah you can't you can't feel any emotion constantly without just burning out on it and feeling something else for a while yeah yeah yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm not sure where to go with this, but I guess, I mean, I've been watching a lot of uh, Michael Bro, who's another game designer who worked on Sigopeos, uh, I think it's called, and uh, A48 Hack, and uh, I mean, countless games. I'm Corrupt is the one that I liked. Yes, Corrupt, yeah. And he's got a number uh, on on a YouTube channel, um, just has a number of like sort of candid, you know, talking head, talking right to the camera about the process of making a new game or, you know, uh, being a parent, um, just sort of, yeah, very candid talks. And a lot of them come down to, I guess, the joy of movement um, that he's found, you know, to put it one way, I mean, appreciating the gift of like, yes, having a body that can move. Um, and I mean, I can't say that I've, I've taken that into my own practice at all. I mean, I, you know, I try to work out a little bit uh, for the sake of, of doing so because my Apple fitness app will get out. Yeah. But like going to the gym, I mm, like, yeah. unless you hit like the runner's high, which I mm-hmm. never have. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> then going to the gym isn't fun. It's eating your vegetables. Like playing a sport is like going yeah. rock climbing is fun. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what he's talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Um, just the, the, the intrinsic joy of the thing. Um, if you can find that, I think uh, is obviously super important. I think another thing I like about the poem, I mean, just sort of as I was reading it, I don't know if it's it's strictly the, the specific choice of words, but there's a sense of folklore to it and community, which I think is also one of the stronger elements, you know, to help you through, uh, yeah. I, I guess, a little bit um, uh, hallmark. But, you know, it's that thing that they say to always look for the helpers um, and to find your community, find your uh, your chosen friends, your chosen family. Um, and I, I think there is a bit of that in the poem as well of just like, you know, whatever, whatever this dance is and, um, you know, it, it is bringing this group of people together at this moment to, yeah, dance together and reinforce those bonds together. And I think, I mean, that's, um, you know, more and more I'm realizing that that is like 
the thing that I'm striving for, I think, is just to, to find that community, um, yeah. to find that connection, whether it's like, you know, uh, mentorship or something in programming because I am nervous about it all the time or just, you know, finding um friend group online, uh, you know, or talking to my friends, let's say on, on, on WhatsApp. And I hate WhatsApp because it's a, you know, Zuckerberg product, but um, like I spent a long time sort of expecting myself to be purely self-reliant. And I think that is a message that um, gets sort of pushed onto a lot of folks um, when I think it is, you know, it is the community power that gets you through sort of the worst times. Absolutely. And again, like, yeah. So the, the poem um, or the reason I, I found this one was just, as I was telling Jim, as we were, you know, burning, burning cast, as we like to say, <laughs> um, uh, it was sort of a, in a newsletter, a poetry newsletter that I'm subscribed to. And they just had an excerpt from it, specifically that part, the tongue twister, the, you know, the world will end and the world will end and the world will end on some bright morning. And like, yeah, that repetition really sticks with me and it's, maddening i guess but also just like really beautiful in the way that it like then sends it back out into you know this sort of bright image um uh at the end of it yeah that that really just stuck with me and i've just been like playing that over in my head a bunch there's this song i like um by this singer uh Odie lee uh called crop circles it has a really good like meditative chorus in a similar way and the chorus is and i don't think i've changed no and I'm too scared to stay the same. So my carpet's got crop circles. My carpet's got crop circles these days. And then the end, it's just the beginning of that and leaves you hanging in the way uh, where it's like, I don't think I've changed. And then I don't think I've changed. And it just keeps being the first part and not not leaving you with the second. Yeah. And I, I think it's a, a good, good use of repetition in this. Do you think uh, we should repeat more things in regular speech? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. It's just sitting there. Uh, I should order like five coffees in a row. Yeah. You, we, you go to you go up to the drive-thru. You order a go, drive through McDonald's. You order a coffee. You get the coffee. And then you just drive in a loop around it to do it again mm-hmm. until they catch on. And they're like, get out of here. And you're still spending your but money, But if you're right? paying, would they kick you out? Or would they just <laughs> yeah, yeah. let you? I mean, they they would need to like call the manager and get the manager's permission to get rid of you. Yeah. I think I feel like there's some level of like, there's some sort of scam here going on here. Mm, right. Where, yeah. Like some candid camera sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it, there's definitely like the expectation of some practical purpose for why you're doing something. Yeah. And usually that's a scam. Yeah. <laughs> but I feel like jokes or or just like things you do to amuse yourself. Uh-huh. I feel I feel like they should get a lot more prominence in people's assessment of like in in people's theory of mind. Maybe that's just because I'm always thinking about jokes. Yeah. Jim, you I feel like you and I share a similar value of that in our humors in terms of just like I also am just like there's nothing better than a joke that is is like I'm putting out there, but it's only for me, yeah. and it does not make much sense. Uh-huh. And like slightly, it's like the worse it bombs, the more funny it is. Because I'm like, yeah, mm. why would anyone? This doesn't make sense. It's great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I don't know if I do that on purpose, but I definitely will say a joke out loud that I know nobody is gonna get. Yeah, and it's just for me. Yeah, and that's I, I feel like that's kind of that's a little bit self serving. Mm-hmm. So when I do that in in person, it's it's like. I'm just confusing people for no reason. When I do it on on like social media, somebody out there, like maybe a thousand years from now, mm. is going to read this <laughs> and understand the joke. <laughs> like that, um, the oldest recorded joke where it's like a dog walks into a bar or something. Oh, oh gosh, yeah. I'm trying to remember that. Yeah. I'm guessing this has come up on the pod before. I don't think it has. Oldest joke. Because it does not make sense. I don't know that it's going to return what you what you uh, expect. <laughs> I'm looking at a Business Insider top 10 list. Mm. See, there you go. You got to have your top fives ready too. Yeah. N- number 10 is a joke about a haircut from uh, 300 to 400 AD. Okay. Here's the... Here's the- a dog walks into a bar and says, I cannot see a thing. I'll open this one. <laughs> I mean, that is funny. That is genuinely funny because I have no idea what's going on. That, that, I think, yeah. And that's my favorite kind of humor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. so maybe it's not self-serving for me to tell jokes nobody understands. Mm-hmm. Like, I've mm-hmm. definitely, like, I have, like, on Twitter, you know, I saw a joke that I really liked 
and I hit star or retweet, and then I get the joke, and it's like, oh, mm. uh, never mind. And Pedestrian. I, yeah, and I undo. I liked it better when it was just nonsense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, on the list is a fart joke from Samaria uh, from 1900 BCE, and it's uh, something which has never occurred since time immemorial. A young woman did not fart in her husband's lap. <laughs> okay. Incredible. All right. I see. I, I, I get that one. Yeah. yeah. We've all been there, eh, fellas? Fellas. Hey, my is, your, fellas. is your wife ever not farting in your lap? Am I right? <laughs> it's a real tight five from 2,000 years ago. Yeah, I love it. Goodness gracious. Well, wasn't there like, um, uh, there, there's an actual word for this study, and I'm just going to say linguists, and it's wrong, but um, people were studying sort of the, I guess, again, wrong word, but genealogy of languages and how, you know, they'll branch off and, um, or or you can like reverse the process, right? You can look at two different languages and say like, okay, well, these words are in common. So they probably came from a, a common ancestor of, of languages. And yeah. they've, yeah, reversed this process as far back as they can go. And they have like a small list of words that are pretty foundational, you know, or like word roots that are foundational to like almost all human languages uh, right. at, at present. And like, there, there, you know, there are things like shovel and water um, and tree, you know, sort of physical descriptions. But then, yeah, there, there's, there's things like, I think like fart and burp are on there. They made the list. Uh-huh. Um, there's yeah. just like some very, not mundane, but uh, down to earth, I guess, grounded language in there, which again, validating. Yeah. I think some of that goes under like uh, like historical linguistics and reconstructive mm-hmm. historical linguistics. Right. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but like etymologist sometimes mm-hmm. one of those. But yeah, I took uh, this really good class. It was um, the linguistics of swearing and taboo. Ooh. My professor is one of the foremost experts on swearing and taboo. Uh, <laughs> Just an old sailor. <laughs> <laughs> And it was great because they had the course number of uh, Ling 269. And then she revealed on the nice. last day that that was intentional. Uh, <laughs> Perfect. She was saying how like there's a type of biases in like people studying uh, language or in any other scientific field where like the taboos of current time are like they cloud the research in a way where like even the people are like less willing to acknowledge like historical words for things that are even if they weren't taboo at the time like they were taboo at the time it's being researched and it like blocks things from moving forward and there's like a lot of uh information that is like lost or like slowed because the way that like sex and bodily functions has like become more taboo over time, especially uh, as people are able to be more removed from like pooping and peeing and things uh, than like that has become more private and less uh, public language. And it was really neat to see like the swear words in different languages develop. And that tells you a lot about the origin of like what is dangerous to people in an area or like what is oh, feared. Yeah. Because there's, Various languages where animal names are still uh, like the swearing and taboo words. I think a lot of like, I want to say a lot of those are around like the Black Seas region, but there's like... I was going to say, like, my my dad is Polish, uh, mm. or Polish heritage, and the only, the first Polish I learned was him swearing in Polish. Um, and most of it is, I think one of, yeah, it's like dog's blood is mm. like the little translation of one. And there's a few others that are, are pretty similar. So, yeah. Yeah, I guess yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, my understanding is that the word bear in English comes from uh, a language where bear was a, a euphemism for the bear, where, the, like, the original name for the animal was completely lost. Mm. Yeah, where they uh, they just didn't want to refer to it ever because that might summon it, so they just called mm. it the brown one. Yeah, oh, I think wow. bear comes from like old High German, and it's like brown. And then like mm. uh, there's other European languages where like uh, claws is what the like word for bear comes from and things. Mm. Okay, yeah, is that a synecdoche? Connected in New York or no? <laughs> uh, I, I always get metonymy and synecdoche confused. Yeah, synodouche. Yeah, one of those one of those awful words. And then like Beowulf as a mm. name, uh, it's like, oh, what does that mean? And it's it's not it does not have anything to do with wolves, the animal. Uh, Beo is bees, and 
wolf as in the like wolf something down is where that's coming from. Oh, right. Uh, and it's eater of bees, which is another euphemism for uh, bears. Oh, sure. Yeah. Also, I'm I'm going to jump in and just say that Beowulf, again, maybe this should go on my top five list or something like one of the best sentences or I guess stanzas, I guess. Not stanzas. Anyway, line of poetry. Um, uh, at least, I mean, this is the English, the modern English translation of it, but um, sure. uh, it just... In the wan night came the shadow ganger stalking, mm. which is just like the most terrifying collection of words. It is so powerful. <laughs> I love it so much. And that's all the time we have for Topic Lords. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. No, it's good. It's good. It's a good line. Hey, can I last minute plug uh, a Beowulf translation? Yeah, go for it. Oh my God, do it. I recommend um, there's a new-ish translation out of Beowulf by uh, Maria Headley, I think is her last name. Um, but it is trying to be like um, an accurate and uh, more uh, like difference in perspective translation mm. of Beowulf. Uh, and it's really interesting uh, and has a lot of really good uh, badass poetic uh, yeah. translations in there. And I'll say like, yeah, I, I don't even remember what translation I read that one passage from, but it just stuck in my head. Yeah. Right. Max, if this is something that you want, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, they can find me in mostly the topic lords uh discord or uh if they want they can email me at email classic yeah uh max m-a-x-x dot infinity at gmail.com or you can uh wander around seattle shouting my name uh, <laughs> until you find max me. infinity <laughs> <laughs> so that's what that was <laughs> you heard it all the way in Montreal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and Nick, if this is something that you want, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, yeah, so I went through this uh, last time and I apologize in advance, but my website is nicknicknicknick.net. Um, is that three or four? Uh, it's four. Should be four. Nicknicknicknick.net. Um, and then that has links to just everywhere else I am online. <laughs> all right. Thanks so much for being on. Yeah. Thank you. Hi, this is Jim. This is the audio I append to every episode of Topic Lords. Congratulations to our newly anointed lords. This episode was edited by Esper Quinn, who can also edit your episode if you contact them on Twitter. If you'd like more people to hear the show, you can tell your friends about it, or rate and review us on whatever podcast service you use. You can add content to the Topic Bucket by emailing topicbucket at topiclords.com, and you can contribute to our Patreon at patreon.com slash topiclords. Patrons get episodes a week early, and you get access to the Topic Lords Discord, where you can discuss topics with all the lords that hang out in there. See you next episode!